Okay, things have reached a fever pitch. <laughs> I'm skipping. Oh, man, this series is so fun. I get to skip around all the gospel. Yay. Anyways, Matthew 12. Okay, Matthew 12, 1 through 8 is one of those lines where I can just imagine like Jesus versus the Pharisees. And it's like he punches them in the side of the face, gives them a, like a right hook. Their chin is back and he punches them straight in the face with the jab. Like it's... It is a massacre in Matthew 12, verse 1. And let's just get into it. Hopefully, you'll see what I'm saying with it. But Matthew 12, verse 1, plucking grain on the Sabbath. Most people read this, read right past it. Let's just get into it. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, look, Your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Jesus said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. All right, another one of those without context, this is like, okay, whatever, plucking heads of grain on the Sabbath. Okay, but it's it's an important thing. So on the Sabbath, you're not to do any work. One of the things that you're allowed by the uh, by the Deuteronomic law to do is pluck grains of uh, pluck heads of grain. Basically, if you're hungry and you need to eat, you can go to anyone's field and do that. It's one of the things, if you're an Israelite, you can do that. So his disciples are doing this on the Sabbath, and you're not supposed to do any work on the Sabbath. So the Pharisees see it and say, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful. Because remember with the Pharisees, their whole shtick as Pharisees, the, the perushim is this separated ones, which is basically like, it's like a autistic version of like doing the law, like absolutely everything you do in the law. It's like OCD. It's like out of your mind. The law has to be applied to every minute detail in order for you to be separate from the Gentiles, in order to be separate from defilement, in order to be separate from um, you know, any type of sinful influence. And so the Pharisees are like, hey, look, you guys are doing unlawful things on the Sabbath. Like you're doing work. You're walking around and picking your food. And then Jesus says to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence? Okay, what is this a reference to? This is a reference to 1 Samuel 21. In 1 Samuel 21, David came to Ahimelech the priest, and Ahimelech came to meet David trembling and said, Why are you alone and no one with you? And David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king has charged me with the matter, said to me, blah, blah, blah. Now then, what have you have at hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever is here. And the priest answered David, I have no common bread at hand, but there is holy bread. If only the young men have kept themselves from women. And David answered the priest, of a truth, women have been kept from us. As always, when I go on an expedition, the vessels of the young men are holy, even when it is a common journey. How much more today will their vessels be holy? So the priest gave him the holy bread, for there was no bread there but the bread of the presence, which is removed from before the Lord to be replaced by hot bread on the day that it is taken away. This is part of the the Levitical bread of the presence, which is before the ark and it's in the temple. And so they're not to, you know, no one but the priest is supposed to, is supposed to eat this. 
But David and his holy his men are able to eat it in 1 Samuel 21. So the first thing he says to the Pharisees is like, have you not read what David did? You know, he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence. And the Pharisees are like, okay, yeah, maybe I've read that somewhere. Oh yeah, that's 1 Samuel 21. What are you talking about? How does this apply to you guys? Wait a second. Are you making a comparison between you and David? Like, oh my, like, are you serious, dude? Like, (laughs) you think you're at the level of David? No, he knows what he's talking about. And he said, you know what David did when he transgressed the law? Because he's great. He he understands the spirit of the law more than the letter of the law. And he, and David, like, like the Pharisees would have got it. Like, wait a second. Did you just make a comparison of yourself to David? Like the David, like, you know, David, the great, the one who is the king of everything. And, you know, it's his lineage. Okay. So right there in verse four, they're probably like peeing themselves. Then in verse 5, or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? Okay, so now they're thinking like, well, yeah, on the Sabbath you have the Levitical priest. So obviously if you're going to have feasts, if you're going to have animal sacrifices, and it occurs on Sabbaths, and it occurs you know, on the high feast days, well, you're going to have those people who are resting and who are worshiping, and then you're going to have these people, the, the Levites, who are going to have to work on those high feast days. They're going to have to work on Sabbath days. So, okay, first he's compared himself to David, which is like a no-no. Like, really? You think you're as good as David? And now he's comparing himself to the priests in the temple. And then in verse six, he says, I tell you something greater than the temple is here. Okay, hold up. (laughs) What could be greater than the temple on earth? And I'll pause for a second. I'll let you guys think about it. What could be greater than the temple on earth? There's nothing greater than the temple on earth. I'll just answer it for you here. Uh, Sorry, this is not a dialogue. This is a monologue. Uh, There's nothing greater than the temple because what is the temple, but it houses God. It's the house of God. I mean, it's where God like lives on earth, you know, like God's there, you know, (laughs) that's why the priests are there. That's why you have the Holy of Holies is because it's God divine, his, uh, his Shekinah glory. It's this, you know, overall and glory that's held in the temple. That's why we have a temple. It's because God lives there. Okay. I tell you something greater than the temple is here. Like what? what, what? Anyways, I, I don't need to overact it. You guys understand. Um, so first he compares himself to David and he's like, I'm better than David. Then he compares himself to the priest in the temple and says, I'm, I'm more important than the priest in the temple. And then he says something greater than the temple is here. So that's why I introed it with, you know, he punched him with the left jab, he did the right hook, and now he's just like, just punching him again in the face. And then finally, this is where, okay, now this is the fourth punch. If you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you have not, you would have not condemned the guiltless. This is a reference to the prophecy of Hosea, Hosea 6. Hosea is going to play a huge role in these commentary series uh, in the future. Hosea is uh, one of the the very the least enviable of prophets. In Hosea two, God basically tells him, "Go and marry a prostitute, and then you'll understand how I feel about unfaithful Israel." Uh, so he has a very interesting mission, not a very desirable one. But in Hosea six, where he's quoting from Hosea six six, he says. Uh, let's start with Hosea 6.4. What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? And what shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes away. 
Therefore, I have hewn them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and my judgment goes forth as the light. For I desire mercy and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. But at Adam, they transgressed the covenant. There they dealt faithlessly with me. Gilead is a city of evildoers tracked with blood. As robbers lie in wait for a man, so the priests are banded together. They murder on the way to Shechem. Yea, they commit villainy. In the house of Israel, I have seen a horrible thing. Ephraim's harlotry is there. Israel is defiled. For you also, O Judah, a harvest is appointed. When I would restore the fortunes of my people, when I would heal Israel. And it goes on about the corruption of Ephraim, the corruption of Judah, the corruption of them uh, being unfaithful and, and not worshiping the true God. So I desire mercy, not sacrifice. If you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. Dang, dang. For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. So they're, they're, they're <laughs> overemphasizing the letter of the law, but here's the thing, is they're also not practicing mercy. And this is what we'll see, what we'll see is that their mercy just is non-existent because it's it's all this separateness from sin. But what what Jesus is doing is like that is a total corruption of what the law is meant for. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the guiltless. This is then the final blow, the knockout blow. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Okay. So the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. This would have been the fifth punch. If we go back to the punches, uh, have you not read what David did? Dang. So he's comparing himself to David. Then he's comparing himself to the priests. Then he's comparing himself to the temple and saying, I'm greater than David. I'm greater than the priest and I'm greater than the temple. And then he says, if you understood Hosea, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And by by the way, Isaiah's, uh, Hosea is all about the fact that unfaithful Judah is unfaithful, right? And it's not about the the, the learning the law to the T, But this is the fifth punch. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Okay, who is the Son of Man? And why is he Lord of the Sabbath? So Son of Man comes from Daniel 7. I want to do like, I mean, Daniel's prophecies will blow your mind. They will totally blow your mind. But the Son of Man is a reference to Daniel 7. And Daniel 7 verse 13 we're going to do a, an extended version of this Daniel's prophecy a later time, but I just want to introduce this concept of the Son of Man. In Daniel 7, verse 13, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, of heaven, there came one like a Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages shall serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. One like a son of man came to the ancient of days. Okay. And what happens with this son of man? He's given dominion, glory, kingdom, all nations, all peoples, all languages shall serve him. Dominion and everlasting dominion in his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. It is insane. The fact that this is in the Old Testament is just like, oh my goodness. I, I feel like, I feel like, um, like, you know, the rich man and Lazarus, when the rich man 
tells out, it calls out to Abraham in the previous episode, we talked about it, calls out to Abraham, like, you know, if someone rises from the dead, well, they will believe. And then, you know, Abraham says, if they have Moses and the prophets, if they do not believe Moses and the prophets, neither they will, will they believe if one shall rise from the dead. I almost feel like looking at Daniel and looking at Hosea and Ezekiel and Jeremiah and all these prophecies, it's like what Jesus is doing here, it feels that same way as what Abraham said is like, have you not read? Do you not understand? Like I'm fulfilling these things and yet the Pharisees are being completely persistent in rejecting Christ. And then he says, for the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is referencing himself and he's taking on the title of the son of man. Son of man is an incredibly powerful image. It's not just him being humble saying, oh, I'm one of the son of man. The son of man is the one that the ancient of days, God himself gives universal Dominion, glory, kingdom, all peoples, nations, languages shall serve him. Dominion, everlasting dominion, a kingdom that shall not be taken away. Son of man is like an ultimate messianic title. And when he says the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath, he basically says, I'm the one who created the Sabbath and I'm the one that can dispense with it. I'm the one that can show the full spirit of the law. I mean, the Pharisees would have just been like, well, let's see. Let's go a little bit further. Verse nine, chapter 12, he went on from there and entered their synagogue. And behold, there was a man with a withered hand, and they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him? He said to them, What man of you, if he has one sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not lay hold of it to lift it out? And how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to that man, Stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it, and it was restored whole like the other. So man with a withered hand. Um, Let my right hand wither. Um, hopefully it'll pull up. So in Zechariah 11, verse 17, woe to the worthless shepherd who deserts the flock. May the sword strike his arm in his right eye. May his arm be completely withered, his right eye totally blinded. So there's other prophecies in the Old Testament. I don't have the Psalm pulled up, but one of them is if my right hand withers, sorry, if, if I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand wither. So now we have a man with a withered hand you know, in Zechariah 11 is referencing this, this image, this idea of a withered hand. Um, and so, <laughs> and it's meant to basically show that you need to repent and come back to Jerusalem. And, you know, the Pharisees are trying to trap him. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. The man stretched it out and it was restored whole like the other. But the Pharisees, this is in verse 14, the Pharisees went out and took counsel against him, how to destroy him. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed. Excuse me, and many followed him, and he healed them all, and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah: "Behold, my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he shall proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not wrangle or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets." He will not break a bruised reed or quench a smoldering wick till he brings justice to victory, and in his name will the Gentiles hope. This is from Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40 and the uh, the servant of the Lord is going to play an enormous role later on. I'll leave that for now, but I, I want you to see here in Matthew 12 that uh, Jesus doesn't back down from the challenges. In fact, he doubles down quite often. The Pharisees come to him and say, look, you're doing an unlawful thing. And he compares himself to David, says, I'm greater than David. I'm greater than your priest in the temple. I'm greater than the temple itself. You don't understand what it means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And I'm the son of man and I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. 
And because of this, the Pharisees don't believe in him. They take counsel against him how to destroy him. And we're going to see this antagonism of Jesus and the Pharisees throughout the rest of Matthew, um, Jesus and the Jews in in John's gospel, the antagonism there. But um, I I just, I love this, that all these times where um, people love to say that the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, don't claim divinity for Jesus, I think they're just absurd. Like when you read Matthew 12, you're like, he's claiming to be greater than David, greater than the temple. The son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. This is a divine prerogative. Like the Pharisees understand what he's saying. He's saying, I'm God. Look, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. Who else could be the son of man or Lord of the Sabbath than God himself? And Jesus, through these ways, if you understand the prophecies, is not shunning his divine mission. He's not shunning, you know, the the uh, ability to show that he's divine. He's saying it very clearly, if you look there. So that's going to wrap it up for this one, and I'll see you in the next one.